Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We have a variety show for everybody today. We are going to review the new Quidditch Through the Ages Illustrated Edition. We're going to hold a debate on if Quidditch is brilliant or bull****. We're going to discuss some emails and play a game, which is Avada Kedavra Imperio Love Potion. But we're going to use Love Potion in a non-creepy way. Because love potions in the books are actually very creepy and wrong. Yeah, consent is important. But first, a PSA. Many absentee ballot request deadlines are approaching in the United States. And early voting is also underway. So please, make sure you are registered to vote in your state right now by visiting IWillVote.com. Then think of your voting plan and vote by November 3rd. How will we all be voting this year? I'll be voting by mail. I just received my ballot the other day, actually. Same. I got my mail-in ballots in my mailbox right now. Same here. I requested my mail-in ballot. I have received it, but I'm still contemplating whether or not I want to actually go either to an early voting site or to my polling site on November 3rd, because I just don't feel comfortable that if I do it by mail-in, it's going to get there and or if it'll be counted. So we'll see. Yeah, I also requested a mail-in ballot, but it arrived super damaged. So uh, early voting starts next week here in Georgia. So I'm just going to go early vote. And for anyone who might be like myself or Micah and thinking about going to vote in person after requesting an absentee ballot, just be sure to bring your unfilled ballot with you to your polling place so that you can surrender it and vote in person. Really great point. Uh, And just one other organization to mention is powerthepolls.org. I think I mentioned this on last week's episode, but there is a shortage of poll workers out there this year, expected given everything going on with uh, coronavirus. But I think as we all know, when we've gone out to vote, generally speaking, those that work the polls are a little bit older than we are. Um, but And given the risks uh, for everything around coronavirus, numbers are significantly down. So if uh, you have the opportunity to go out and volunteer on November 3rd, or even before with some of the early voting sites, uh, you can check out powerthepolls.org. They have all the information there for you. And by the way, some states are willing to pay more this year for poll workers because they are a little more desperate than usual. Okay, so let's talk about Quidditch Through the Ages Illustrated Edition by Emily Gravitt. This is the latest illustrated edition. Uh, what what are we up to now? Four books and three <laughs> spinoffs. So this is the seventh illustrated edition. Little caveat, though, to start this, we will be discussing the work of the illustrator and not so much the author. That said, at the beginning of the book, it is noted that J.K. Rowling has given all her royalties from this book to Comic Relief and Lumo. So if you do decide to purchase this book, know that while it will contribute to the overall sales numbers, J.K. Rowling herself is not receiving any money from Quidditch Through the Ages Illustrated Edition. If you really do not want to support J.K. Rowling, you could just buy this book used on eBay, etc. There are options to buy it without without running your purchase through sales records. Mm-hmm. So this book was released on October 6th, and now the Hogwarts Library is complete. We have Tales of Beetle the Bard, Fantastic Beasts, and Quidditch, all illustrated. It's another beautiful book. They do such a great job with these. What did you guys think? Yeah. I am wowed by the work that Emily Gravitt has done. This may be my favorite illustrated edition so far. It's just every 
image makes you want to look deeper at every image and also just brings me, I, I found myself while reading this book, um, just cheerful, just weirdly cheerful about yeah. it. It, it mm. definitely accompanies the text very well. I agree. It, it was a nice break to kind of go through this book. And I really enjoyed how Emily made everything feel relevant to each chapter and subsection. I'm thinking about things like the letters, the newspaper clippings, the artifacts, the sketches. You really felt like you were looking at things from those eras because you know, you're going through the ages, you're going back in time. And mm-hmm. I thought it really brought Quidditch through the ages to life. I hadn't read it previously, so there was that aspect of it too. And and I agree with Eric. I would argue it's one of the better illustrated editions of any of the books that we've seen to date. It mm-hmm. um it was fun. It is yeah, fun. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually waiting to buy it used, as you mentioned, Andrew, but in order to prep for this discussion, I pulled up some of the images that we got ahead of time and really took some time to study them. And it reminds me of going to a museum. Like, have you ever been to like a flight museum where they show you like the history of flight? And so you can see all the old uniforms and patches. Yes. And like old technology. That's what this really reminds me of. So I'm really excited to get my hands on it when I get a chance because I really do want to do a deep dive. And speaking of history, something immediately struck me about this book, the paper stock in it. I hate to focus on paper stock, (laughs) but it feels a little grittier. It needs to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It feels different than the other illustrated editions. And I can confirm it is different because after I felt up these pages, I went to my other (laughs) illustrated editions and felt up those pages and they're a lot smoother. So I don't know if they were going for maybe this paper's more eco-friendly or maybe they wanted it to feel more like a history book. I I think that's it, man. Your books have to be really well loved. <laughs> it's like <laughs> whenever Andrew gets a book, he fills up the page. <laughs> I, I do that. I smell it. Well, yeah, that's normal. Well, that, that is something else. That is something else entirely. <laughs> I smell all my books too. Um, mm. But uh, but yeah, no, I agree. The paper stock is different, and you know the term for it. I learned this word within the last week: epistolary novel, and it's books that are like. The story of the book, rather than having a narrator, it's told through documents, um, historical documents, letters in particular, but it can also be pamphlets, brochures, posters, um, things that are basically, like Laura said, like from a museum. Um, And that's what they've turned Quidditch Through the Ages into in this version, because this was not this way in the original Quidditch Through the Ages. I, I looked it up. Quidditch Through the Ages originally was a 56-page, very, very, very short document. All the text seems to be pretty much the same. But what Emily has done is taken every tiny little reference, um, every time there's mention of a team or uh, a particular um, sportsman who did something crazy, there's now a depiction of them or uh, a newspaper article reacting to what that person did or these news and things like that. So she's really yeah. turned it into, uh, yeah, def- like an epistolary mm-hmm. novel, basically. Yeah. Well, and now there's so much more content because of all these extra little bits that you're talking about, these newspaper clippings, these looks inside other books about Quidditch, um, these photos of these players. I think one of the most impressive parts about this is, unlike the Harry Potter books, where there's a guide for illustrating them, so to speak. We've seen the movies. The world is very vivid. It's been fleshed out in seven books. Mm. These characters in these books, we've never seen before. 
So Emily had to pull stuff out of thin air, and I think that's that that makes it doubly impressive. Absolutely, yeah. and I love the fact that there are illustrations on literally every single page. And and I know that's hard when you get to the <laughs> illustrated editions of the Harry Potter books because it would just be impossible given the story. But I think in a book like Quidditch Through the Ages, it works. And you're constantly looking, to your point, at all the little details that have been created. I mean, she takes things from like the very slightest mention and brings them to life. And I thought that that was really cool and really well done. There are some characters, some familiar faces. We see Rita Skeeter, a little illustration of her, <laughs> Ludo Bagman, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. They all appear <laughs> in the review section. Was that, Eric, I think you paged through the original Quidditch Through the Ages. Are these reviews in that book, too? Um, you know, I'm going to take a look. I've got the book right. Oh, they, they are. They are in okay, there. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. But there's no illustration, obviously, of the individual. So that was right. cool also to see come to life. And I'm just curious, when did Quidditch Through the Ages originally come out? Because some of these characters, I wonder if they had been introduced yet or not. It was 2001. Right. Um, yeah, Bethilda, so very early. Bethilda Bagshot had not yet had her close-up, um, like in Deathly Hallows, uh, if that counts. We didn't really know who she was. We know that she had written Hogwarts of History, but that's one character that stood out as me. What about Ludo and Rita? Yes. So the the book came out in 2001, so it was after Goblet of Fire was published. Um, mm. So it's the, this was both Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Quidditch Through the Ages came out after Goblet of Fire and before Order of the Phoenix, um, which if you really think of all the struggle J.K. Rowling went through to get Goblet of Fire out within a year, the same time frame she'd worked with with the previous books. And then he considered that she also wrote at some point during that time these two books. It's just an incredible amount of world building in a very short amount of time. You mentioned, uh, where did she go in our notes? Celestina Warbeck. That's a character who, Eric, you confirmed she was referenced in the original Quidditch Through the Ages. And now we see, we see one of her records in this illustrated edition. It's kind. Of, it's pretty impressive to me how she's appeared throughout the Harry Potter series in the background time and time again. Her biggest appearance to date has been in the Wizarding World theme park, having that show where she performs a bunch of different songs. That's in Orlando in Diagon Alley. It's it's really really great. Yeah. Um, and then in here in this book, we see one of her records, and the song is titled "Beat Back Those Bludgers, Boys, and Chuck That Quaffle Here." <laughs> <laughs> the new single from Whoa. Celestina Warbeck. Celestina is a little uh, edgy there with her uh, song titles. And for a, a big singer to show her allegiance to a particular Quidditch team. Yeah. Which team is that? She's singing Puddlemere United's anthem. Ah. That's their anthem, apparently. Okay. Yeah. So maybe they wrote it and then Celestina covered it for them. Isn't yeah. that Ron's team? Uh, Ron's that team is supports? the Chudley Cannons. Cannons. Somebody is in the book very prominent is pro uh Puddlemere United. Well, oh, okay. I think Dumbledore even in the forward of this book is cheering them on and I think that's the team that Oliver Wood went to play for. Uh yeah. I think you're right. Speaking of Dumbledore, we do get a new illustration of him and I was actually surprised by this one. It looks more like the Jude Law Dumbledore. He's got a shorter beard and he's actually holding Fox. Yeah. And it looks like a very old photo. Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah, it kind of looked more like Gambon's Dumbledore to me, but with 
yeah, that's true. Law's beard. Not the Richard Harris version, not the, you know, previous illustrated version that, that I tend to picture in my head, but still a, a good photo. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, favorite parts was this pop out where you could see the actual sizes of the Quidditch balls <laughs> and the quaffle so large it can't even fit on the page. An inch or two of the top gets cut off. Um, and there's a ruler on both sides, which I thought was a clever touch as well. It's it's pretty cool, actually, because not that it matters, but I didn't think these balls were that big. Right. No one isolate that clip, please. <laughs> I just appreciated seeing the actual size of these Quidditch balls. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you, know, you see them in the movie and they look smaller. I, I know. I know. I'll I'll stop. They could fit in a book. Who knew? Most of them. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I like the fact that you could fold out a couple of the different sections and it just, again, it speaks to um, the illustrator's ability just to really capture everything really, really well. I, I'm a real big fan of this um, in advertisement for the Ballycastle Bats and Butterbeer. The sponsorship is mentioned in the original Quidditch Through the Ages that the Ballycastle Bats and Butterbeer have like some kind of arrangement. But Emily has drawn this picture of a bat upside down in a bottle of butterbeer. <laughs> he's just <laughs> clearly like inebriated or buzzed on it. And he's like, I'm batty for butterbeer. <laughs> it's just something that, again, you feel like it really could have happened. And it's just a cute ad. Like if I saw that on yeah. a roadside or uh, in a print magazine, I, I would definitely want to go try butterbeer, the favorite drink of Batty the Bat. Before we wrap up, do we have any favorite illustrations that we wanted to call out? Obviously, Eric just touched on one. Yeah, I really liked um, on page 80 and 81, we see the team uniforms of Britain and Ireland. And what I really like about this is everybody's, each team's uniform is very unique. Mm. And I just really appreciated the fact that Emily decided to come up with completely different designs and colors for every single team. And like we've been saying, this just really opens up the world of Quidditch. It's it's really cool to see how diverse the sport is. I really enjoy looking at all the different team patches. Um, I kind of had like a throwback moment to, I think it was Goblet of Fire, where Cho Chang is wearing a patch for, I think it's the the Tuthill Tornadoes. Uh, tornadoes. Yeah, and Ron's like crapping all over her and thinking he's like trying to gatekeep the sport. Um, and it was it was cool to see that imagined because I was like, oh, that's kind of what I pictured it to look like. So I think that we can give a lot of props to the illustrator here. I think her her style captures you know the whimsy of the core Potter books. So yeah, I've got two favorite illustrations. One of them's another pop out. It depicts a hunt for the golden snidget, which was the precursor to the snitch. Um, And it's just all these people setting out to hunt this poor little bird. Um, And then at the end, the guy is being given money uh, who won it just like crowned victor. Um, But the other one is, again, it looks like like a historical tapestry. It's depicting the first ever Quidditch World Cup where something like 700 new fowls were discovered. Um, <laughs> but among them, uh, there was a uh, hundred vampire bats that were conjured to attack the, the other team and the players. And also somebody with a broadsword 
that wanted to go decapitate the keeper. So if you if this sounds crazy, it's because it is. But Emily actually <laughs> illustrated this like scene mm-hmm. and it's a crazy two page uh, illustration of of that particular event. Yeah. And, and for me on page 50, I'm always a fan of the Daily Prophet, but there's a really cool article all the way back from 1883, and it's uh, almost full page, actually, and it's called Bring Our Bring Back Our Baskets, and there's a huge issue <laughs> with standardized baskets and getting them to be the right size, and it's just a really funny article, uh, but I thought very well done. And then, Eric, kind of going off what you were talking about with that first uh, Quidditch World Cup, um, just all of these little cards that appear throughout Quidditch to the Ages that showcase the different Quidditch fouls. It's just funny looking. It's 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 almost like they're cartoonish, and you know it's something that you would just kind of go through and see in the Sunday paper or see online. But I just thought it was really cool to kind of look at those individual fouls and the way that she was able to bring them through life in these kind of like baseball trading cards. The way that she did them. You know what else I just noticed while we've been sitting here talking? The page numbers are in golden snitches, mm-hmm. but the golden snitch is actually flying around the page. <laughs> so every time you turn the oh. page, the golden snitch is at a different position on the page. Huh. Sometimes it's hiding uh, behind a graphic. Sometimes it's upside down within another graphic. Sometimes it's at the top of the page. Huh. I thought that was a really nice touch. I got to tell you, trying to find specific pages was real mad. Yeah, for me. I, I literally was yeah. just trying to do that for the Bring Back Our Baskets Daily Profit <laughs> article. And I, I I couldn't tell what page it was. I had to flip back a couple of pages <laughs> to find a snitch. And I didn't realize that. That darn snitch. Yeah, now I'm realizing that. It's all over the page. That's pretty cool. All right. So that is Quidditch Through the Ages Illustrated Edition. We're going to debate quidditch in a moment because i i'm realizing there's a lot of problems with this sport Mm -hmm. first we wanted to take a quick break to tell you about something that requires no debate third love third love can help you find your new favorite bra with high quality comfy styles starting at just 45 dollars they use millions of different measurements to design bras with all day comfort and support. And they stand behind their products. If you don't love it, exchanges and returns are free for 60 days. I've been wearing Third Love's 24-7 Perfect Coverage bras for the last couple of years, and they are heavenly. They're super supportive while still being mega comfortable with memory foam cups, no slip straps, and scratch-free bands. That's because Third Love creates Creates better bras that focus on what matters, keeping you comfortable. No shortcuts, no substitutions. And they have so many styles now, from modern stripes to lace that actually feels soft, to their number one rated classic t-shirt bra. There's a style and fit for everyone. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 10% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast to find your perfect fitting bra and get 10% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 10% off today. So now that this new illustrated edition is out, I wanted to have a debate about Quidditch. I've been thinking about this for a few years, actually. 
it, it's always bugged me, the rules of Quidditch. And my skepticism about the sport goes all the way back to being in high school when my TV tech teacher really hated Quidditch. He thought it was such BS because of what I'm about to uh, talk about. So here's how this debate is going to roll. Laura and myself are going to argue that Quidditch is really stupid. (laughs) And then Micah and Eric will argue that Quidditch is actually brilliant. I'll kick things off. The biggest issue with Quidditch is that everything rides on the golden snitch. You can score as many points as you want with other balls, but once you catch the snitch, the game is over, and whoever has the most points wins. This is unbelievably stupid for reasons like this. If Gryffindor has scored only 20 points, and Slytherin has 180 points, and if Gryffindor then catches the snitch, thereby ending the game, they'll still lose. And Gryffindor couldn't go for the snitch because they don't have enough points to win the game if they catch it. But they'd have to keep an eye on it and protect it to keep Slytherin from catching it. And if Gryffindor sees where it is, then obviously Slytherin is going to figure it out too and then go for it. And then another example of why this is dumb. Your team can do so well scoring so many goals, and yet all that really matters is catching that snitch. Both teams could just focus on catching the golden snitch the whole time, and then the game would be over in five minutes. Yeah, and as if the rules of this game weren't, you know, overly complicated enough. This is actually a very dangerous game. Um, I was Mm -hmm. doing some research and found uh, NPR was reporting that in real life muggle Quidditch, concussions make up 20% of Quidditch injuries. That's people that we know who have actually played Quidditch. And now, of course, athletics have a certain accepted risk. But we have to think about the mechanics of Quidditch. Quidditch is played in the air with modes of Mm. transport that are literally one to two inches thick. There are no no restraints on brooms, as evidenced in Prisoner of Azkaban. When Harry faints and falls off his broom, he would have probably hit the ground and died if Dumbledore hadn't caught it last minute. But you can't always count on Dumbledore to be there, clearly. I mean, we learn that later in the series. Um, <laughs> but it's just not reasonable to expect the injection of certain elements to make a sport challenging. Um, but bludgers, you know, they're intended to create a certain amount of challenge in the sport. They can cause serious damage, again, as evidenced by the bludger that breaks all the bones in Harry's arm. Plus, this bludger was cursed. So the sport can be tampered with and can cause serious injury mm. and or death. Then you have to depend on players all operating in good spirit. So we have examples of Slytherin players deliberately hitting Gryffindor players with their clubs in order to try and throw a match. It's just bananas that, I mean, one, you know, we've already pointed out how the scoring system makes zero sense. On top of it, you're really incentivizing people to turn this sport into a bloodbath in order to try and satisfy a ridiculous scoring system. And I know that, you know, Eric and Micah are going to try and make the case for the importance of building teamwork. And I agree with that. Teamwork is a really important skill to build. But you can build it somewhere else. There's Wizard's Chess. There's Gobstone's Club. 
There's tons of other areas where you can learn to work collaboratively with people that won't get you killed. Yeah. I rest my case. (laughs) Well said. Security nightmare. All of those issues (laughs) with the balls. You can curse them and stuff. And final point, the brooms. Yes, those, uh, you know, no restraints on the brooms. You could easily fall off. Plus, some of them vibrate. And that's just going to be distracting. (laughs) Only if they're bewitched. (laughs) Well, clearly they can be. Or (laughs) battery operated. Remember Harry's broom? In Sorcerer's yeah. Stone. Thank you for reminding me, Micah. I, no I appreciate that. Thanks, Micah. <laughs> Security nightmare. Uh, well, Micah, you're a sports guy. You want to you oh, yeah, step sure. in here? Well, that was actually yeah. the way it, it went during our Slack conversation, right? Like, oh, let the sports guy argue in, in favor of Quidditch. <laughs> there is a sense of unity and teamwork that comes from a sport like Quidditch. And I would even argue, look at the Quidditch World Cup. Look at every four years this event takes place and you have wizards from and witches from all over the world that come together in a way they otherwise would never have. They get to interact with each other. Yeah, maybe it gets a little tense at times if if your team is playing their team, but just think about all these individuals in one place that would otherwise not be there. And and Quidditch gives people a sense of national and local pride in a way that gobstones and wizard's chess surely do not. I mean, those muggle games? <laughs> Come on. Chess and marbles? Really? <laughs> and Quidditch for, for young players, even for, for players of every age, it's a, it's a means of physical activity. What kind of physical activity do you get from wizard's chess or gobstones? You get shot in the face from all different types of chemicals in gobstones. That's safe. And Dumbledore himself, you want to talk about Dumbledore. In the beginning of Quidditch Through the Ages, what does he say? As we have developed the game of Quidditch, so it has developed us. Quidditch unites witches and wizards from all walks of life, bringing us together to share moments of exhilaration, triumph, and for those who support the Chudley Cannons, despair. And Andrew, I'm gl- I'm so glad you brought up the, the golden snitch at the beginning and you seem to be very frustrated by the idea of strategy. Mm-hmm. That is part of playing a game like this. You have to have a strategy. And if you're not up by enough points, don't catch the snitch. It's that simple. Yeah. And I think you also said all that matters is catching the snitch. Well, that's not always true. Just tell Victor Crumb that because he caught the snitch in the 492nd Quidditch World Cup and it didn't get him anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I just jumping off of what Micah said, and, and, and I would actually like to defend the use of the snitch for ending the game. Because how else would you would you end a sports game? You'd probably do what American football or basketball or hockey do, and they have time periods. But here's the thing, okay? And this is something I've always had a problem with in American football. You watch as the clock ticks down from 15 minutes for each quarter. 15 minutes for each quarter. So you'd think that every football game ever would last one hour, right? Oh, what an uh, digestible time period. One hour. But (laughs) the clock stops every time there's an out of bounds or a foul. It's false advertising. Games take forever. Football takes forever. There's overtime. (laughs) What's the point in timing a game if there's going to be overtime anyway? Extra innings. With Quidditch, none of this matters. You play until the snitch is caught, and that's it. And then it's over. It, it just it just makes sense. There's actually, I would say, a little bit of a thrill in knowing that Quidditch matches, uh, having just read uh, reread Quidditch through the ages, can last as early as three and a half seconds. 
or as much as <laughs> I think several weeks. This is exciting. And also talk about bang for your buck with a sporting event. Uh, if you go and have tickets for a game that ends up lasting several days, that is prime, <laughs> prime investment there, right there. So, you know, another aspect is uh, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, they all rely on one ball or puck. The entire team, this huge group of individuals, are all focusing on just one ball. It looks ridiculous. It's boring and lame. In Quidditch, team members have designations that mean that they're all up to something different. The beaters are worried about the bludgers. The chasers are worried about the quaffle and the keeper and the snitches uh, found by the seeker. So as an audience member, it's got to be more pleasing to have players doing different objectives. And you get to see the, the thrill of the chase with the seeker and you get to watch them all do their own individual things. And and finally, I think the uh, claim of danger as it pertains to being on broomsticks or working with these balls that are cursed to hit you um, is greatly exaggerated because everyone has magic. Even Harry uh, is it's basically an, an outpatient for losing all the bones in his arm. Uh, it's just an overnight mend. It's fine. Everybody's fine. Magic fixes everything. The increase in danger is mitigated by the presence of magic and healing spells. So I would argue that Quidditch is a great time. It is exciting and fun, and the added danger and speed makes it one of the most exciting sports we could ever conceive of. Well, I'll give you that uh, having multiple balls in a game is more interesting <laughs> than a single ball. That's that's a good point. There's a lot more happening, so it's a little okay, more entertaining. You. But no timing is a benefit. The Quidditch match could last a week. That's exciting. A week. If you like, uh, who this? has time for that? Well, they have classes to get to. <laughs> Not to mention, Nobody has time. showers to take. Oh. Like showers. What are, what are you going to do? Lock the audience in the auditorium for however long the game lasts? Like that's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to eat. You got to sleep. They could just vanish their sweat. <laughs> got to use the bathroom. <laughs> no, I don't accept that they're going to vanish it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Micah brought up that Quidditch isn't a physical act or Quidditch is a physical activity and gobstones and chests aren't. Okay, Quidditch isn't that physical. You're on a broom the whole time. You're not actually doing much of the work. If you want physical activity, you can just walk around Hogwarts. It's huge. (laughs) The funny thing, though, to talking about um, danger is that Quidditch actually seems to be one of the less dangerous sports that are introduced in Quidditch through the ages. <laughs> There's one where you're, oh, yeah. where you're under like rocks that are like falling on people's heads and your heads are, have a cauldron on them. And there were just a lot of like more dangerous sport. I think a hundred people went out to play that one game and 98 of them died. <laughs> so, I mean, Quidditch is, may have an element of danger, but that's what I would call flair because there are worse sports out there. It is the one thing that binds the wizarding community throughout the world. Oh. What else does? Voldemort's reign. <laughs> it brought everybody together. Uh. Right, and we're not we're not sitting here arguing that that was a good thing for people. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh man. Well, okay. a much more Any civil other debate than we- what we've seen. Um <laughs> Yes. Over yeah, the last well, few yeah, weeks. In, the, in recent weeks, for sure. Well, that's because we're doing it over Zoom. If all oh, debates are okay. on Zoom, it's been very different. <laughs> mm. Did a fly land on anybody's head during that? <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah, I didn't once have to step in and be like, I am speaking. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
So we'll post polls on social media this week asking who won the debate. While we appreciate your stance on the matter, we would like to know who won this particular debate. So keep an eye out for those polls and then vote for who you think won. So it's time for Muggle Mail now. We'll start with a couple of voicemails. And a lot of people wrote in about the port keys that we were discussing last week. Are they a plot hole or not, particularly at the end of Goblet of Fire? So here's the first voicemail about that. Hey, MuggleCast crew. My name is Justin. I'm a longtime listener. I was listening to your plot hole episode, and I might have an answer for the port key as the Triwizard Tournament. How I always imagined it was that the end of the Triwizard Tournament was a, the port key was always in place so that whoever touched it first would be transported out of the maze and declared the winner. When the uh, when Moody took the Triwizard Cup, he actually put a second port key on it, unaware that Dumbledore had already put the first. So when Harry and Cedric touched it, Moody's port key spell transported them, and then when Harry touched it a second time, Dumbledore's first one transported it back like it should have at the original if Moody hadn't touched it or hadn't dealt with it so just my theory all right hope y'all are doing well (laughs) i love this actually i do like the idea that because we had asked last week like why did the port key take harry from the center of the maze but then return him to the front of it and i like the idea that the intention was for the port key to transport the winner from the center of the maze out to the front of the maze yeah definitely that makes sense yeah okay here's another thought on the port key from shane Hey there, MuggleCast. This is Shane from New York, and I just finished listening to your Plot Holes podcast, which I really did enjoy listening to. But I do have, I think, an answer for one of the plot holes you brought up. So you talked about the port key back to Hogwarts after uh, the little bout with Voldemort uh, in the Goblet of Fire. And I always thought that the reason that the port key was able to bring him back to Hogwarts was because of what was happening with the wands and how his parents came back. I thought they were able to put some special sort of magic onto that to get him back just to watch over him. Let me know what you think. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Hmm. That's interesting too, that I, those that had been killed by Voldemort would through Priori and Cantanum protect Harry. And yeah, perhaps there's side effect magic of, of that spell would be that they could help get him back to, to Hogwarts safely. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, like, I mean, they're really magical people. Um, if anyone could do it after death, they could. Uh, I, I, I like the idea because you just don't know what's going on in the graveyard anyway. And to, to have it be possible that the shadows of Lillian James and, um, Bertha and all them could, could do something like this for Harry, I, I think is useful. Cause you also want to see these people putting up a unified front, right? Like Voldemort got them, but he didn't get the last of them. Like they still had some help to give. Right. Yeah. Well, the next theory is just a bit darker. Yeah. Um, So this comes from Jacob, and it's definitely a more macabre interpretation. Uh, Jacob says, during your plot holes discussion, you questioned how the port key would transport Harry back to Hogwarts. Wouldn't Barty Crouch have disabled this route when he modified it? Maybe. But what if the plan was always to send a dead Harry back to Hogwarts? leading everyone to wonder how he had died just as he claimed victory. The plan was always for Harry to die during the tournament to limit knowledge of Voldemort's return. If his body never showed up back at Hogwarts, there would have been a lot more suspicion. 
Wow. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, I like it too. <laughs> you guys are dark. I, I love each of these three various theories. I probably yeah. subscribe to Justin's over the others, but I like them all. Yeah. And like I said, a lot of people wrote in. There were many different ideas in terms of what went on with that port key. So thanks to everybody who contributed their thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, moving on in Muggle Mail. This one comes from James. Hi, MuggleCast. Regarding your discussion of The Trace last week, I've thought a lot about how The Trace works, and I have what I think is a workable, unified theory on how it works. To me, it has always been a two-step process. First, The Trace detects all magic around every wizard under 17. Then, somehow it searches around them, to see whether there are any of-age wizards nearby who could have cast it. If there aren't, meaning the only person who could have cast the spell is the underage wizard, it sets off an alert or auto-generates an owl to Mafalda Hopkirk. This would explain, for instance, why Harry doesn't get in trouble when Tonks does magic at 4 Privet Drive, but Davi drops the pudding. There's no adult wizard nearby, so Harry gets blamed. Love the show. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, this is one way to explain it. Mm-hmm. I always thought that they based it around whether there are any adult wizards who regularly reside there. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I don't know, there's part of me that thinks like if the ministry saw their own aurors like going to collect Harry Potter, like if they knew about that, I right. feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know how that would have gone. Probably not well. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. I am calling for a complete reworking of the trace system. I'm calling on the Ministry of Magic to please throw out the old system <laughs> and implement <laughs> something better. This next email is from Lauren. Hi, MuggleCast. I really enjoyed your latest episode on plot holes in the series. The plot hole that has always bothered me is that when Harry has his Marauder's Map borrowed by fake Moody in Goblet of Fire, he never gets the map back at the end of the book. But in Order of the Phoenix, Harry has the map back in his possession again, and he uses it to help the DA avoid Umbridge. I know it's a really small plot hole, but it has always bothered me to not know how Harry got the map back. Well, Lauren, this is what the Harry Potter TV series is going to do for you. It's going to show scenes like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how he would have gotten it back. Did he just happen to find it in fake Moody's It was a writing mistake. It was confirmed to be like a... A writing mistake but yeah I, I think he would just find it or get it back at the end of the year the weasley twins would search it out too i think they'd be eager oh, to yeah. help out harry find that all right uh next email comes from ale who says i've just finished episode 485 on plot holes and i wanted to share my understanding of lily's love protection magic i believe that it was because voldemort gave her the choice to live that her death saved harry If you think about it, James also died to protect Harry, but his death conferred no magical protection. It was only because Voldemort himself told Lily to stand aside that her choice to die protected Harry. I believe that if Voldemort had simply broken down the bedroom door and killed Lily immediately, Harry would have died and Voldemort would have retained his power. This accounts for other parents, etc., dying to protect loved ones without invoking the same kind of magical protection. An interesting point that follows from this is that if Snape had not loved Lily, Voldemort would have not fallen at the Potter's house, and Harry would not be Harry. The entire book series only happened because of Snape asking Voldemort to spare the woman he loved. 
Love the show. Thanks for all that you do. Bailey. <laughs> yep. I like that a lot. Beautifully put. Yep. It all goes it, back to Snape. <laughs> well, and Voldemort agreeing, right? To to spare her. That mm. was big I've of Voldemort. Voldemort. Why though? Like well, why? You just gotta help your brother out favor for a loyal yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw him a bone. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's it. I think it it's sort of like the path of least resistance and Voldemort. I mean, he didn't see Lily as particularly important one way or the other. And we see that, um, I think it's the end of Deathly Hallows, where he and Harry are having their final showdown. And Voldemort's like, there are other women. He could have found somebody else. Like, he clearly does not get it. Mm. (laughs) So... Um, our next one comes from Talia. Talia says, I just finished listening to your plot holes episode and I'm currently rereading the seventh book. When Nagini comes out of Bethilda, Voldemort and Harry have this intense inner brain showdown where we see the night of James and Lily's murder from Voldemort's point of view. James tells Lily to go upstairs while James guards Voldemort at the door. And there's a whole period of a good two minutes while Voldemort kills James and moves upstairs. Why couldn't Lily just grab Harry and apparate? Why did she barricade herself in the bedroom in the hopes that it would work out? Maybe she didn't want to leave James behind. Where would she apparate? She doesn't know what's going on elsewhere. And, you know, two minutes when the worst person on earth is downstairs. I don't know if that's a lot of time to think things through and and, uh, come up with an alternate plan. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember they were caught off guard, too, because... They thought that they were safe. They had a secret keeper. Right. And in that moment, they would be realizing that something happened and their friend betrayed them. And now Voldemort's, you know, coming in their front door. That doesn't give you very much time to think of a plan. Yeah. I do like the suggestion, though, because apparition is immediate that you could, if you were in immediate danger, you could possibly get away. I, I genuinely find that. In, in, intriguing. Do you That's think? what I would do if there was a robber yeah. in my house, like the alarm went yeah. in the middle of the night. I would just apparate out of there. Bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think Voldemort could trace her though somehow through wormholes or? Oh, you know, maybe. There's got to be a spell for that, right? If somebody well, apparates, you can kind of do a spell that shows where the last place was that they went. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, it's very reminiscent of. Yeah, we are. We're in Halloween season right now, it it does make me think of that movie and, you know, Jamie Mm -hmm. Lee Curtis, like always running into the bedroom or into the closet when Michael Myers is chasing (laughs) you. Like that is not the best place to go. People come on. (laughs) Haven't these people seen a horror movie? So the next bit of muggle mail comes from Marissa. Hi, muggle cast. I listened to episode 485 plot holes and I have some thoughts on the subject of tools for wizarding law enforcement like the Veritas Serum, as you mentioned, I always wondered why the pensive wasn't more widely used for this purpose. I wish we knew more about the spell used to retrieve memories. I'm guessing it's a complicated spell, which is why we only see skilled wizards using it. But if it's not, why couldn't the Ministry review Harry's memories of the night Voldemort returned? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this and the memories pensive in general. Yes and no, right? Because memories are shown to be editable and, and flawed and faulty in Half-Blood Prince. True. Yeah, they can be tampered with. And I think that's the reason that this isn't like a common law enforcement tactic. Mm-hmm. Also, I think when it comes to, you know, the ministry wanting to substantiate 
Harry's, you know, memory of what happened. They don't because Fudge doesn't want to believe that Voldemort's back. So they, you know, they clearly don't want to do anything to try and justify Harry's recounting of events. They just want to paint him as a liar. Yeah. Good point. Okay, next email comes from Margit. Hello, MuggleCast. I've listened to you for many years, but this is the first time I am writing in. Thank you for a great podcast. Well, thank you for writing in, Margit. There is one plot hole that I always wonder about when reading Deathly Hallows. When Harry, Ron, and Hermione arrive in Hogsmeade before the Battle of Hogwarts, they are met by an alarm and they are not able to apparate out. Later on, almost all the students of Hogwarts are evacuated from the Room of Requirement to the Hogshead, but where do they go from there? Will they not set off the alarm if they try to leave? Are they all stuck at the hogshead for the time the battle goes on? Would love if you would discuss this one. Greetings from Norway. Hmm. I do Mm. think a lot of those students end up fighting in the battle. So it's probably just one of those things where it's on. So it doesn't matter if alarms are going off at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Troll hell is broken loose. I mean, I suppose, could they use the flu network in the hogshead? Like, could some of them... Oh, go home that way. Obviously, this would be a lot of students because the goal was to only allow students who were of age to fight. We know that there are a number of students who were not of age who stayed behind anyway. But I have to imagine a lot of the underage students fled somewhere. Yeah, they could have just slept overnight in the hogshead. And then, you know, the next morning, things are okay. I, I think I think the biggest deal is that Hogwarts is under direct attack, but the hog's head is not. If, if you know, any Death Eaters caught wind of the fact that there were all these students in the hog's head, that might change things a little bit. But for now, they're just trying to get somewhere that's not, you know, burning. Yeah, right. well, you know what was said. Gringotts was the safest place in the world, except perhaps the hog's head. Uh, <laughs> the goats, the goats Plus, protected them. Yeah. <laughs> the goats were standing a guard outside. Glass of butterbeer, wait out the storm. Don't mess with an angry goat. <laughs> yeah, that hoghead in there behind the bar breathes fire. Exactly, fire whiskey. <laughs> mess with the goat, right. you get the horns. Uh, this last email from Mike is a doozy, so buckle up. Oh, oh God, he says hi. Love the show. Been listening since '06, hardcore from '06 to '09, and off and on since then. Recently, I listened to some new stuff and enjoyed your discussion on biggest plot holes. I like to preface this by saying I love Chamber of Secrets, and it was the book that got me into Harry Potter, but after reading it so much, I've come to realize it is just a minefield of plot holes. (laughs) We love Chamber of Secrets, too. It's kind of like our bastard of the series, because we can never come up with anything for it. It's like our Jon Snow, really. Um, First of all, why did the police or Aurors or any adult just believe this Tom Riddle kid when he accuses Hagrid of opening the chamber? Even if he did have the spider, why would they think that's the monster? And since when do spiders kill people leaving the body perfectly preserved? Maybe check for a spider bite. If they believed Hagrid did do it, why was he allowed to stay at Hogwarts? I know Dumbledore was behind it, but... They think he murdered a student, yet they just snap his wand and they're like, You're you can go free. Hell, live next door if you want. They don't care about <laughs> security. Security nightmare. Next question. <laughs> also, once they discovered it wasn't Hagrid, shouldn't he have gotten a new wand and a chance to get his GED or something? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's always made yeah. me sad. Another thing that makes no sense is why no one asked Myrtle how she died. 
Wouldn't that be the first thing you'd ask? As soon as she says she saw two eyes and died, you know it wasn't an eight-eyed spider that killed her. I mean, there can't be that many creatures that can kill you just by looking at you, and a huge snake is right up Salazar Snake Man Slytherin's alley. Isn't it kind of rude to ask somebody how they died? <laughs> well, yeah. I feel a little Myrtle kind of acts that way in Chamber of Secrets. Right, right. And how hasn't a ghost floated around and noticed a chamber or pipes or something? They just float around halls for like 500 years. I mean, explore, <laughs> live a little. <laughs> and finally, and people know Voldemort is Tom Riddle. As soon as you found out his identity, wouldn't you question the fact he was at school when the chamber opened and framed Hagrid? A Gryffindor. I mean, seriously, a Gryffindor, heir of Slytherin? It's clearly a snake in the chamber. Sorry for the long rant, but I really needed to get this out. Love the show and keep up the good work. For you, Andrew, stay classy, toots. That's a throwback that I'm not that proud is a of. <laughs> Wow, but these are, I mean, Mike does it in a really fun tongue-in-cheek way, but these are some plot holes that uh, we definitely didn't touch on last week. I think some of them are valid for sure, but others, I think there are some excuses that could be made. Time for a little more fun? Yeah, what game have you prepared for us? It's a game we haven't played in a while. Avada Kedavra, Imperio, Love Potion. And as you mentioned at the top of the show... Love potion in a, hey, I think you're cute kind of way, <laughs> not a, I'm going to force you to love me kind of way like right. Ropey did to Tom Riddle Sr. Mm -hmm. Because we haven't played this in a long time, I don't think we've ever done a Fantastic Beasts edition of this game. Oh. So who wants to go first? I have three characters picked out for each of you. I'll go. I'll go first. Kill the Niffler. <laughs> no, 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 no. We will Always not be kill killing any Nifflers. Oh, okay. Well, you said and Fantastic then put it on a Beasts, pizza. right? Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah, Nifleroni. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric. So your three characters for Avada Kedavra, Imperio, or Love Potion are Credence, Abernathy, and Pickett. Aw. Okay, this is hard. I, I love how we spent a lot of work softening the love potion thing to not be rapey but imperio is really also very bad i was um, just thinking you're taking of that away someone's agency you know not a greatest thing um okay so i'm gonna make this short uh abernathy he's out of here ak he's a traitor he betrays the good people works for grindelwald helps grindelwald escape that's an easy choice uh between credence and picket uh maybe i'd do a little romance with Credence. He seems like a big, strong man. He could protect me, <laughs> um, especially in his uh, obscurial form. Uh, and then Pickett, I would get, you know, I would ask nicely. But if Pickett said no, I would get him to, like, pick a lock for me and get me, like, vast sums of money. Like, help me break into a bank. Um, I would I would probably, if I were very desperate, I would I would get Pickett to help me pick the lock or or even on the side of good uh pick the lock to a famous politician's office and then expose all their lies something like that oh, so all right <laughs> using yeah. picket for good i like how you said credence is a big strong man he's a wimp <laughs> to me no no i mean you know in his in his obscurial form he's very strong he's very oh, okay. protective remember how he protected his sister oh and then he accidentally killed her i guess that's a bad example um <laughs> what a catch but Anyway, those are my answers. All right, Andrew, you ready? Sure. All right, your three characters are Jacob Kowalski, Nagini, 
and Theseus Scamander. Ooh, Theseus. <laughs> um, I would... Wow. This is tough. I mean, Avada Kedavra and Imperio. Um, I would kill Theseus because he's nothing like his brother. I just prefer Newt. So I would love Potion Jacob because I want somebody to bake me bread forever and always. <laughs> and he's just so cute and funny. And uh, I just, you know, if I'm in the wizarding world, presumably I'm a wizard. And I think it'd be kind of cool and edgy to date a muggle. Like, I want to be different. So that'd be fun. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I would Imperio Nagini. I I hate to do that. I think Nagini has lived a tragic life. But Nagini is going to turn into a bad character later on. So I got to get that ish uh, under control. I'm ready. You're ready. Okay. Your three characters are Lita Lestrange, Dougal, the demiguys, and your favorite, Yusuf Kama. <laughs> yes, I was hoping he would oh make an appearance. God. Yeah, so definitely we're AKing Yusuf Kama. Like, there's, <laughs> like, I, what's the point? I don't understand. Steve Clovis probably agrees with you. He probably did the same. Um, and yeah, Lita, definitely, uh, I would ask Lita out on a date. I'm not going to love potion her, but I would I would ask her on a date. I think she'd be pretty rad. And uh, I, yeah, I would Imperio the oh shoot, I'm forgetting off the top of the my demi head. Guys. The demi guys, the guys, excuse me. <laughs> I would definitely want some cuddles. <laughs> so I'd I, I, I'd be like <laughs> at any cost, at any cost, you do you do the whole like, yeah me. yeah just just cuddle me just hang out with me you're yeah, gonna imperio me no oh don't worry just to just to cuddle <laughs> oh, okay. just just to cuddle <laughs> yeah but i i mean kind of similar to Pickett, you could use dougal for your your own personal needs i mean he could get in anywhere and take anything you want yeah but that just feels so nefarious oh don't want to i really him. like cuddles <laughs> so okay all right I- cuddles <laughs> that should be the name of this episode <laughs> Cuddles with Dougal. All right. Great. That was fun. Yeah. We'll turn the tables on you next time. All right. It's time now for Quizage. Last week's question, who was Fudge's opponent in running for Minister for Magic? It's a hard one. This is kind of a, a, a blink and you'll miss it answer, but it's covered in book four that the correct answer is Barty Crouch Sr. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, Did a lot not more know to that. it than that. But correct answers were sent in by Lance Dance, Chelsea, Bord Voldemort, and Count Ravioli. So just a few people. But yeah, evidently, it was Barty Crouch's son getting sent into Azkaban. And it's his actual death that caused people to be like, ah, Barty Crouch Sr., not a good dad, probably wouldn't make a great minister for magic. And so Fudge got the job. Speaking of Quizich or Quidditch, or both, <laughs> next week's question. It's a Quizich Quidditch question. Quizich Quidditch question. Yeah, say that. that. All you have to do, actually, for next week is just say that 10 times fast and send it into us. <laughs> yeah, send in your voicemails of you answering. <laughs> uh, who was the seeker for the Irish national Quidditch team in 1994? Hit us up on Twitter to submit your answers and also follow us on Twitter. We are MuggleCast there. We're also MuggleCast on Facebook and Instagram. 
We'd also love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get bonus MuggleCast. We recently released a new bonus MuggleCast in which we're recording our new trailer, which should be in podcast directory soon. You get early access to the show. You get ad-free MuggleCast. You get to tune into our live streams every Saturday. And if you pledge at a certain level, you will also get a new physical gift every year. All the shirts, by the way, are now out. We're so excited about that. And we'll host a international Wear Your MuggleCast t-shirt day soon once we start seeing that final batch of shirts go out to our lovely patrons. And you can also get a personalized video thank you message from one of the four of us. And many more benefits. There's a ton over at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. So thank you, everybody, for your support. We really appreciate it. And we are a weekly podcast. Thanks to you all. If you have any feedback, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or go to MuggleCast.com and use the contact form there. Or call us, one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three, Or just use the voice memo app on your phone and then email that file to MuggleCast at gmail.com. All right. I think that concludes this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Goodbye. Bye. 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 I'm going to go cuddle with my demi guys now. <laughs> <laughs>